0: Hey everyone, it's Kelsey Bowler once again filling in for Beverly Hallberg while she takes some time off after getting married not too long ago. So welcome to She Thinks, a podcast from Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care most about. Today we are joined by Alicia Krauss, a conservative host and commentator who homes her girls in L.A., along with her husband, Eric. Currently, she hosts the weekly Washington Examiner Newsmaker series, featuring politicians, activists, business owners, and celebrities about news of the day. She previously hosted a morning show in L.A. with her friend and former Daily Wire colleague, Ben Shapiro. Prior to that, Alicia ran a congressional campaign, worked with PragerU, and produced the Sean Hannity radio show. She enjoys encouraging young women and young conservatives through speaking both digitally and in person on America's college campuses. Alicia, welcome to the show. I am so excited to catch up with you.
1: I know. I'm so excited. I feel like I social media stalk you, but we haven't had a conversation in a while.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Alicia and I are both young moms. Uh, We... uh, Two of our children are the same age. I went through my first pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Alicia had a little bit more experience on that front, but we do live on opposite sides of the country. Alicia lives out in California, and I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. And that's where I want to kick off this conversation. You are a conservative mom in a very blue state. I wanted to start out by asking, how do you do it? But I feel like I should just ask, how are you doing? (laughs) <laughs>
1: um, how am I doing? Is something I was just texting a pastor friend of mine earlier. I was like, I feel like I'm just going to be brutally honest with people, and from like the Christian faith perspective, have hope that this is the season I'm supposed to be in. But I kind of don't like the season, and I feel like I'm not the only American woman, red or blue state, who feels this way right now. I keep meeting women and, and dialoguing with women all over the country that are like, it's hard um, in general. And I choose to have to wake up every morning and see the joy in educating my girls at home, even though it's a decision that we were kind of forced into. And it wasn't a choice given the situation here in the state. And I'm in a kind of like stay and fight mode. And I hope that we end up winning not just little battles, but the overall culture and educational war when it comes to the future and the ideology of our children. Sorry if that was like a long-winded wish to be like, it depends on the moment how I'm doing. But in this exact moment, I'm very, you know, very blessed to have a loving and supportive husband and three healthy kids and, and be in the sunshine of a blue state. And I think that overall people kind of maybe assume that things, in some ways, yes, obviously things are worse or more vitriolic in a blue state, but I have plenty of friends in red and purple states who are dealing with the same issues that we
0: are here in la i can tell you as a mom who lives in loudon county i uh, have some pretty uh, pretty big concerns right now as well uh certainly i don't live in a blue state will or in a red state we'll see what happens with the upcoming election but you're right it's mm-hmm. not just california i do want to ask though um you you were homeschooled growing up correct
1: yeah, I was I was one of the weirdos that was homeschooled all 12 years.
0: <laughs> so was homeschooling your own children a choice, or was it you felt not really a choice given where you live?
1: Um, I So previously, we're, we're non-denominational, but our girls had gone to a TK through 8 Catholic school here in Los Angeles, and I'd chosen Catholic education, um because I felt like it would be easier to dialogue and teach our girls like what we believe regarding our faith. And I knew that they, I wouldn't have to deal with like LGBTQ week and drag queen story hours and um, other issues. Uh, I liked how there were uniforms and no makeup and no jewelry, because I feel like that just in that stage of life with kids going into puberty and interest in others. And it's just like, I just felt like it was kind of easier. Plus, Catholic high schools in the L.A. area are very good. Uh, TMZ, you know, had reported when LeBron James was coming to L.A., like how he had actually been considering a couple of Catholic high schools. Famously, Megan Merkel went to a Catholic high school. But they're really affordable, especially by L.A. standards. And I did some research and was like, huh, if I want my kids to be able to go on a trajectory where they can be at a good school with like debate teams and golf teams and football teams and band, um, maybe this Catholic education route is a great route. And um, I have family members that are Catholic and lots of friends that are Catholic. And I felt like there was a mutual respect of our kind of core beliefs there. So that's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, I was always open to different educational options because I'm a massive fan of school choice. And I think, and you'll see this, you know, baby number two, every kid is so different. Every pregnancy is so different. Every labor and delivery is so different. And every individual child is so unique and so different in their own beautiful way that I never have thought that there's a one-size-fits-all in the forms of education, even within the three members of one family. And um, so we are in this season of homeschooling. When people are like, what about next year? I just say I don't know because I never anticipated this being a place that I would be in our lives. And it totally has its pros and cons. I mean – The pros that my husband loves is that we can all, quote, unquote, sleep in by family standards, which is usually 7 a.m. instead of rushing (laughs) out the door, you know, to make it before the bell rings and and beat L.A. traffic. Um, I like the flexibility of I'm going to be in D.C. in a couple weeks for uh, a work thing. And my husband and I are going to bring the eight year old so we can go do museums and like make her write an essay on it. Right. If she were in public school or private school, that probably wouldn't be an option, especially the older that kids get. Um, But then we were just talking to some friends in Arizona last week and they have teens and then they have littles and they're like, yeah, we wish everybody would want to homeschool so we could have the flexibility of like going on surf trips and work trips and family trips together. But that isn't always the right fit for every kid. Um, So we're kind of, I guess, the COVID situation and the lockdown situation and the masking situation and potentially the vaccine situation. Are, are forcing us to homeschool, but I'm so blessed that we even have that option and that we have the financial freedom and flexibility to do that.
0: That sounds like a really healthy attitude and an important one for parents to hear that homeschooling doesn't have to be a permanent solution. It can be a temporary solution, uh, mm-hmm. a band-aid, as it's, it's potentially been for many parents during the COVID-19 pandemic. I do have hopes that uh, because We've seen so many parents uh, capitalize on that option. Uh, They will encourage more school choice. I I know that's something I would like to take advantage of if I had it in my seat. Um, But beyond homeschooling and and, in the situation you're in, I wanted to ask what you see for the future of California. I was really struck when just a couple weeks ago we heard Elon Musk say, Uh, He's moving his company headquarters to Texas. I mean, that alone is going to have a huge financial impact on California in in terms of the the state's tax revenue. Of course, uh, politicians out there uh, downplay the implications of uh, these types of decisions, but he was not the first and he won't be the last to leave. You're standing your ground. Are you Mm -hmm. concerned or are you hopeful I am incredibly
1: hopeful. I I didn't expect us to win the recall, um, but I actually am of the Kevin Kiley mindset of, like, California and the Larry Elder mindset of California is worth fighting for. I am only 35 years old, but I've been a political nerd for my entire childhood. Um, My mom is also one, was always very involved in politics, and I know enough history to know that, unfortunately, conservatives have often, like, fled instead of staying and fighting for far too long. And then now we're like, oh wow, how come the university and education system is so far to the left? Wow, how come big corporations are so woke and enforcing unconstitutional mandates? Oh wow, how come, you know, the church is, is moving to the left and now we have things like the liturgist podcasts and CRT being taught even in private Presbyterian Methodist Baptist schools, right? Um, like the, the list can go on and on. And I am actually hopeful that despite that recall law, um, Look at what the candidates were able to do, specifically a candidate like Larry Elligler with what, eight weeks and less than nine million dollars. Gavin Newsom, the thing that people don't talk about, he spent up over a hundred million dollars to maintain his role as governor. That's more than he's ever had to spend in a, um, actually an actual gubernatorial race every time he's run. It's the most he's ever had to spend in office, I think, for all of his campaigns combined. And I think that continually, Um, People around me that would identify as to the left and to the center are recognizing really the importance of local government, of your city council races, of your county uh, supervisor races, of who the heck is on your school board making decisions about your children. And I think that it's been a wake up call to people not only here in the state, but across the country of, you know, the president is what's the most talked about on headline news. And, and during Fox News or CNN primetime, but they're not always the end all be all when it comes to things that are going to affect your life. And um, I think that not just here in California, but nationwide, we're kind of hearing classical liberal voices that are speaking up and saying, um, yeah, this not OK with the way that things are going here. Uh, Margaret Atwood, for example, J.K. Rowling pre-COVID, the, the list goes on and on of, of people that are kind of waking up. And I, I listen, I, I've i long said, and we've obviously had friends that have left the state, everyone's cost benefit analysis is is going to be different. And I want everyone to have the freedom to choose what's best for them as an individual and for their family. Um, and for now, that's that's my husband and I staying here and fighting um because we think that there's a lot to fight for. Jerry Brown, an awful governor, once infamously said, but it was the one thing that he did say that was right, that so goes California. So the, then goes the nation. And time after time, we have seen how policies here are implemented here. Everybody points and laughs and says, wow, that's crazy. And within 5, 10, 20 years, it's happening in places like Alabama. So maybe it's not so crazy for us to invest resources in a place that is going to have an effect on the rest of the nation.
0: Absolutely. And there's one issue IWF has been following very closely on that front, and that is the PRO Act, uh, which started as. AB5 in California, a mm-hmm. law that it, just, it wasn't. It didn't even take long for it to go national. Um, it has not yet been implemented uh, at the federal level, but certainly Democrats are doing all they can to try, including trying to sneak elements of it into uh, President Biden's massive reconciliation spending bill. But we know um, that's a policy that has greatly impacted California and actually received quite a, a bit of backlash. I'm sure most of our listeners uh, know the gist of it, but it, it greatly limits the ability of Californians and potentially all Americans to work independently or freelance. And um, it was really interesting <laughs> to see um, this example of clearly a uh, very liberal Californians realize the real life impacts, the damages mm-hmm. that these types of policies can have and um, and actually see some of them speak up and fight back and even reach across the aisle and, and work with us um, on issues like that. Are there any other examples you can think of where you've seen that happen?
1: I, I see a potential for an example, and I really wish that the California GOP would get their ish together and uh, – can I say ish? Um, – get their stuff together and work on this. I mean, polling has shown that um, hopefully there will be – we do uh, ballot proposals in the state, and nine times out of ten, they're stupid and I just vote no on everything, although the Claremont Institute is usually very helpful in having a kind of a voter guide of, like, their breakdown of, of all the proposals. That are that can be helpful, and I typically write about or post those when it when election time rolls around. Um, but the school choice initiative has been something that, and par- getting the dollars back to students and getting the dollars back to parents, like a lot of other states are starting to do. Corey DeAngelis, of course, does way more profound work and it has great impact and research in that arena. But it is consistently polled well in the state across a massively blue state. School choice and giving moms the money back to take care of their children's educational future, therefore helping their financial future, is something that pulls over 60 percent, even among minority registered Democratic women. So I'm hopeful that if that is something that can get on the ballot, that the Democrats can try real hard but it's going to end up helping people because Zoom learning is just not the same as being able to send your kid to the best school for them for an in-person education that is going to help their educational and financial future. And any mother on the face of the planet that cares about her kid would agree with that.
0: Absolutely. And those poll numbers do give me hope, not just for California, but for the entire country. Uh, So shifting gears, this might be a Small thing, but one of the ways you're staying and fighting back is through peacefully defying some of these uh, very strict California mass mandates. <laughs> I've seen a couple on your Instagram feeds. I'm thoroughly entertained by it. You put together some fun reels. Um, and I know that as a mom of a two year old, you understand the outrage that many of us feel over the idea that we're supposed to mass. Uh, mask their faces when they're just learning to talk. They can't even, not even close to being able to tie their shoes yet. Um, so, tell me a bit about your defiance in the mask arena.
1: <laughs> I think that my defiance really started, and I, I think if you see my Instagram feed, you also saw my like tweet that I posted there that was like, you know. I was a, a virgin that married my first boyfriend who follows all of the rules and always wears my seatbelt <laughs> and goes to church and does all these things. But, like, I kind of have had it, and, and my way of, of sticking it to the man is, is just not complying anymore. And I would encourage, and I get DMs from women, they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. I don't want to get yelled at. Get yelled at. But let let the person who's yelling at you be the person that everyone else in the grocery store looks on with disdain while you calmly and rationally just be like, no thanks. Um, yeah, everything that I put on my reels have been based on real interactions. Some people think I'm like um, setting them up for for the comedy or the or the joke of it, but no, the real interactions that I've had to. A girlfriend of mine, Bethany Mandel, who I'm sure your audience knows, was like, "Girl, I don't know how you do it," and I'm like, "I just do it," and and I think it really started. A little bit in the spring, but more so after that June 15th deadline when Newsom lifted everything and then he locked it back down. And then they started to double down with, oh, we're going to do this in schools and, oh, we're going to do this at large scale events and, oh, we're going to start a vaccine mandate now. I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and so my defiance comes through when I go places in L.A. and I won't show my card and I won't mask. And that's just the way it is. And I am. I'm nice to people when I do it. I say no thank you when a security guard offers me a mask. I, um, you know, honestly haven't been forced to put one on in like three months. And I think I was like at a Nordstrom rack. And what was so funny is the way that they touched the mask like multiple times and the guy even dropped it on the floor. I'm like, this is more germy than me <laughs> walking around, like just breathing. And I, I will not mask my girls. I've never masked my girls uh, on flights. That's it. I I will not mask them, and uh, even the eight-year-old, when she has been asked, told a lady very politely, I'm sorry, you cannot tell me what to put on my body. You need to talk to my mom, and in my head, I was like, yes, queen, uh, and so there, it's not even something that I talk about with my girls. They just witness what I do, and it is interesting how more and more people, as they see what I'm doing will then kind of take down their mask and be like, is this okay? And I'm like, yep. Tell me why. It ain't a law. It ain't a law. It ain't a law. It ain't a law. I have friends that went to the Rolling Stones the other night at SoFi Stadium, packed out in Los Angeles, and there was zero mask enforcement. So I just get a little uh, heated over the hypocrisy of how churches and schools and private functions and small businesses are being fined and reported and managed but you know, Vanity Fair events and red carpet events and Marvel events and Rolling Stone concerts ain't. Then, then don't don't you dare tell me to put a mask on myself or my kids.
0: I love your daughter's reaction. <laughs> um, they're, they're She's got a little bit example. of me in her. <laughs> it sounds like it, and and yeah, I'm eight months pregnant, so I have not been um, flying since my daughter turned two. Um, But I don't even know what I'm going to do next time we go to board a plane because I can't imagine even like rationally explaining to her why she has to sit there with a cloth over her face. And it just baffles me that really no other country in the world is forcing two-year-olds to mask for hours at a time. And yet somehow it's perfectly acceptable. And I sadly feel like those of us with actual two year olds, you know, there's only so many of us who have two year olds and in, in this very moment and understand what our government and what these private companies are asking us to do by putting a mask over their mm-hmm. face that we're kind of voiceless. And I know, you know, you and I try to do what we can uh, to push back about this and others. Bethany Mandel has, has done great work. Um, but it, it, it's, it's one of those issues that I I talk to my non-political friends who have young kids and they actually agree with me. When I say Mm non-political, I really mean lefty, (laughs) Um, (laughs) they agree with me. And so this kind of like reaches beyond the political spectrum and yet nobody's doing anything about it.
1: And what's fascinating, though, is like you could say, I, I could say my lefty friends, my righty friends, and then I also have middle of the road and non political friends. And this is now an issue that parents are realizing wow, my, I think Emily Oster, or I was reading a study recently that talked about how kids age five and below, 80% of their communication and like kind of discernment and people judgment comes through uh, the face and expressions and reading people's lips and being able to look into their eyes and like kind of judge their face. Um, we have so many friends and family members that are in kinship and foster situations and the level of um, connection and safety and trust that is built with foster kids and in kinship situations uh, with a teacher or a pastor or a counselor or a foster parent that is now um, delayed and minimized and prolonged because on top of all the other things that these poor foster kids have to face, and the statistics that show their likelihood of, you know, like not being able to have a quote unquote average or normal life. Now we're adding this element to it. I think it's cruel. I think it is wrong. And I think it is uh, increasingly unscientific to be doing this to the next generation.
0: Absolutely. And it's funny when I say my non political friends, um, <laughs> when I actually have a conversation with them about anything involving politics it's pretty obvious that they've drank the Kool-Aid. They're, they're pretty far to the left, but they like to maintain that they are not Mm -hmm. political.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah. You
0: have many of those. (laughs) Well, I want to end the conversation um, on a positive note. And I guess um, I want to use some of the news stories. I'm not sure if you've seen Megan McCain is out with a new audio book. Uh, This week called Bad Republican, where she details uh, really the emotional struggles and even the physical toll sometimes uh, that being the lone conservative on the view had on her and how Mm -hmm. ultimately uh, the environment became became so toxic that she could not. Work there anymore? She had to walk out, which is mm-hmm. really sad. There, she had the one conservative seat on the view, which is dominated by uh, liberal women, and they just mm-hmm. made it so intolerable intoler- that she she, one of the strongest women that I know, um, couldn't last. And uh, you know, here we are talking to you, a strong conservative woman who proudly lives in California, seems to very much enjoy your family's life there. And so I want to ask what your words are of encouragement for those of us who feel so outnumbered to the point where we're asking, should we move our families to a more conservative Mm -hmm. area? I mean, how do we survive uh, these very toxic times we live in?
1: Yeah, I think um, so Young America Foundation is who typically – Students are members of their group, and they request me to come to their college campuses or do digital speeches. And I consistently think that uh, tough and adverse situations in life make you a stronger human being, uh, man or woman, from any socioeconomic background or uh, ethnicity, that it can you can choose to let it break you down or you can choose to let it make you stronger. And I think some of the bravest women on the planet are young conservative women who are living out their viewpoint and living out their principles on America's college campuses, especially in the last like two to five years. Um, I've been in adverse work situations before, but never to the extreme of Megan. And I think that the people making fun of her uh, just disgust me, especially when they claim to be pro-women and tolerant. It just further shows the left hypocrisy of, They only like women when they can be the token woman for their um, ideals. And and I've said recently, and I might uh, perturb some people or upset some people with this, but the left uses women as like tokens when we do and say what they want. And I think that a lot of people on the right don't even utilize the the power of the female market enough and the female voice enough because I understand that we don't want to just play on people's emotions but you can pull people in with emotion like heck how their kids need the opportunity for school choice or how the she session increased during COVID because of small businesses getting shuttered and how women own the majority of small businesses. Like you can use facts that also kind of tug at the heartstrings to win people to our side. And I think that Megan and other women like her in those situations have tried to do so. And I'm really not surprised at the cattiness and the lack of professionalism um, by the other women over there. And it's honestly qu- quite disappointing, especially because a little behind the scenes when I produced the Hannity radio show, like Whoopi was always willing to come on. She was always super nice to Sean, even though we're, they were combative and would would debate. She didn't used to be this way. And I feel like she's representative of a lot of Americans who've just been made crazy by the political cycle in the last like four to eight years. And like, I, I would like to think that there's still a good person down in there that can have friends on all sides of the aisle and you know religious and political spectrum and i'd like to think that those types of people all over the country can be reached um but i don't know i try not to lose hope when i think about it too much
0: (laughs) (laughs) well alicia thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your encouragement with us Uh, where can our listeners go to follow you and your work
1: uh, it is E L I S H A K R A U S S on all social platforms, and then of course, course over at the Washington Examiner Newsmaker series.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, and good luck out there in California. <laughs> keep, keep Thank fighting. you. Come visit. It's nice and warm. <laughs> if I figure out how to get my two-year-old on a plane without a mask, I would love to. <laughs>
1: I just have to say, just do it, like we've never we've flown a lot with the two year old even the four year old never once masked them like it it really depends. My dad's a retired pilot, I think it depends on the flight crew and whether or not there's a Karen on board, but that's just i mean i also right. I go unmasked in an airport until I'm asked, and it's been longer periods of time, so you never know join, do not comply,
0: <laughs> all right, listeners. Well, if anyone else has a two year old out there. And can give that a test run for me let me know how it goes you can follow me at kelsey Buller and keep me posted alicia thank you again thank you we hope you take away something from today's conversation and if you enjoyed this episode of she thinks or liked the podcast in general we would love it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating or review on itunes this helps ensure our message reaches as many americans as possible Share this episode and let your friends know they can find more She Thinks episodes on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, and all their favorite podcast apps. This is Kelsey Bowler signing off on another edition of She Thinks.